Well, today we have a bonus episode, uh, shorter than usual, uh, and no news roundup because it comes in the middle of the week. Uh, uh, but it is episode 110 of the Steptoe Cyber Law Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Uh, it is uh, the result of a uh, meeting out in our Palo Alto office, Steptoe's Palo Alto office, uh, where we pulled together a number of clients and a couple of of our um, experts on Chinese law from the Beijing uh, office who um, uh, came to talk to us about what's happening in Chinese uh, cybersecurity and data protection law. Uh, Susan Monroe uh, and uh, Ying Huang, uh, both uh, expert in the politics and the law of China, um, have a dialogue with me about where Chinese law is going and where Chinese policy is going. So we are lawyers talking about technology, security, privacy, and government. Uh, and uh, without further ado, let's turn this over to Susan Monroe. So uh, foreign investors and businesses operating in China are currently scrambling to try and work out the effect of a whole tranche of laws and regulations that have been issued recently, um, uh, which um, directly impact their ability to use the internet cross-border. Um, uh, I think I mentioned just now the anti-terrorism law. Um, we have new provisions on web publishing, which means that uh, foreigners uh, or foreign invested companies cannot directly uh, publish on the Internet in China. Um, we have the cybersecurity law, which contains a uh, chapter on data privacy, um, which is uh, giving rise to concern in relation principally to definitional issues, the lack of clarity of definition in the uh, draft law. Uh, but that law is uh, uh, scheduled to come into force in 2016. Uh, most recently, um, we have some internet domain, domain names measures, um, which have some uh, uh, provisions uh, in them which would probably, uh, if implemented, give rise to a situation where uh, foreign companies uh, could not access websites outside China. Um, now, this is still in a draft form, and um, it's um, an extreme position for the authorities to take. Um, it's being driven um, ostensibly by anti-terrorism, cyber threat type concerns, but also uh, internal concerns, um, which, which we won't discuss in detail in this um, session. Um, so, faced with this um, barrage of, of uh, uh, different regulations, which in many respects turned the uh, world of uh, foreign service providers in China upside down, um, how, how are they to cope? What, what, what does this actually mean in practice? Um, the first thing I'd like to say is I think they are unavoidable. China has been um, building up to this since its 12th five-year plan in 2011, um, and various agencies have been um, uh, established since then to deal with Internet security. In 2013, the National Security Commission of the Communist Party was established. 
In 2014, the Office of the Central Leading Group for Cyberspace Affairs was established, and the establishment of the latter effectively raised the issue of Internet security to a national strategy level. Um, since uh, the initial uh, uh, setting of the baseline in 2011, uh, various ministries and government departments have begun to work on uh, the uh, government priorities, which are Internet security and Internet control. Um, we've seen this particularly in the banking industry, um, and uh, there's been some blowback in the U.S., uh, in relation to uh, control of hardware, for example. Uh, President Obama stepped in on that issue, um, which was temporarily shelved, but I think only temporarily. Um, so against this context, um, I'm going to uh, begin a discussion with Stuart. Um, and we're going to focus on two areas of the uh, uh, cybersecurity regime. One is data privacy in China, and the other is data localization. Of course, both are intertwined. Um, and um, in China, data like localization is probably more of a policy imperative than data privacy at the moment. One of the things that's noteworthy about the China Chinese uh, data privacy regime is um, that it's been introduced in a very piecemeal fashion, um, starting from very basic protections in uh, the civil law, uh, and uh, until now, up until now, where we have very specific protections in uh, consumer laws, um, laws to do with banking, so on and so forth. The thing that's noteworthy about China is it hasn't um, taken the approach of having a data privacy law per se. And in this respect, it's, it's different to uh, many other Asian jurisdictions, uh, such as Hong Kong, Malaysia, Singapore, uh, which have all um, implemented from the outset a comprehensive data um, uh, privacy, data security regime. Um, China is, is um, sort of inching towards a data privacy regime. Um, and as I mentioned, the cybersecurity law contains a whole chapter on um, data privacy, but it does not look as if we're going to have a data privacy, a standalone data privacy regime. It looks as if data privacy for the foreseeable future is going to be linked to other China priorities. Well, that's a pretty standard approach from the U.S. point of view. The U.S. The US doesn't have a single overarching data protection regime. Uh, it has um, very specific regimes for particular pri privacy problems. Uh, uh, credit reports generates the uh, Fair Credit Reporting Act. Uh, uh, some uh, uh, bozo looking up uh, uh, a Supreme Court nominee's uh, um, uh, video rental records as part of his, uh, uh, his, his uh, uh, confirmation hearings leads to the Video uh, uh, Rental Protection Privacy Protection Act. Uh, uh, that has been how we have written most of our privacy laws, which means that 90% of the commercial activity is not regulated by those kinds of laws. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, in Europe, on contrast, there is one big overarching 
data protection rule, and uh, it basically applies to every uh, form of economic activity you might engage in. The Chinese have gone to uh, a system that looks as though they're asking individual regulators to write data protection rules for their industry, for consumer protection or for banking, et cetera. And, and, and so in that regard, it is closer to the American version than to the European version of data protection. Well, having said that, um, we're often asked by U.S. companies, um, uh, how do we uh, deal with this? Um, because it's also something of a moving target. Um, uh, standards and approaches are changing. Um, is, is it a reasonable approach to uh, recommend taking the EU data protection regime as a standard and applying that? Well, you know, from a policy point of view, it makes me want to throw up. But uh, <laughs> as a lawyer, I think that is the right answer. <laughs> uh, uh, from a policy point of view, it's terrible because the European law basically is... Um, you're guilty if we choose to make to to to, to uh, prosecute you. Uh, uh, there's no way to really comply with the law uh, as uh, uh, at least the data protection authorities would uh, uh, apply it, um, a, and that's what's wrong with these very broad principles. When you try to apply them, they they leave you with more questions than answers. Uh, uh, but from the point of view of trying to uh, make sure you're more likely to be compliant than not, uh, assuming that you're governed by data protection rules uh, is only prudent. Uh, and boy, uh, you know, uh, my my worry in China is that they will end up with the worst of both worlds: very specific regulations for particular industries, plus an overarching, you know, you're guilty anyway, uh, approach to data protection in the European mold. Um, so it's, it's probably only prudent to assume that you're going to be governed by data protection rules, uh, no matter whether there is a regulatory approach already implemented in China or not. Yes, and of course there are um, uh, echoes of the European regime in the cybersecurity law. So, so... Well, and, and for for good reason, right? The uh, the Europeans have made certain since the 70s that what otherwise would be a trade a trade violation, which is saying you can't take data with you to another country, uh, is protected as a form of regulation that is protected uh, under the WTO uh, provisions. There is a special carve out for. Uh, privacy protection, um, and so it's only prudent if you're the Chinese government to write your rules so that they fit as closely as possible to the existing data uh, protection carve-out from the otherwise binding uh, WTO obligations. Mm. Um, I mentioned already that um, it looks as if China's implementation of a, di- da- uh, of a slightly expanded data privacy regime is um, uh, uh, in in tune with, in line with its broader state security um, uh, concerns, national security concerns. Um, is this an approach that's unique to China, or have you seen this in other jurisdictions? Yeah, I, first, it, the only parts of privacy law that really actually uh, are, are useful from a privacy point of view are the data security requirements. Uh, obviously, you don't have any privacy if any hacker can get at your data. Uh, and so, inevitably, these data protection rules 
roll over into security rules and data security rules. Uh, and there is a presumption that once the data gets to another country, it's going to be treated badly. Uh, and uh, so when people want to ensure that data will be properly protected, they often come up with the idea of saying, well, it shouldn't be exported. Uh, the U.S. has a couple of those rules. Uh, 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 customer network proprietary information uh, uh, held by uh, telecom carriers can't be stored outside the United States. Uh, classified information uh, uh, can't be uh, uh, stored outside the United States in general. Uh, uh, the Europeans have rules that say you, you can't export uh, personal data to countries that we don't think uh, meet our standards for protecting the data. Um, so there are plenty of export restrictions outside of China. China probably is a little more aggressive and a little more open about having national security limits on exports of data in private company hands. But I, I, I think it's very hard to say that there's any country that is really completely pure on the question of whether the, data, the, the internet and the exchange of data always should be open and free and borderless. I'm going to invite Ying Huang, um, who uh, is from our Beijing office, to say a few words. Um, what, uh, it, for, for foreign companies, this is obviously the whole data localization issue is of, of uh, great uh, concern. Um, uh, do you think that China has taken on board the uh, concerns of foreign companies? And, and what do you think is, is, is China's overall position on data localization? Okay. <clears throat> I think that uh, data localization uh, has uh, attracted a lot of attention. It certainly is a very sensitive and important issue uh, because it not only impacts the economic interests of multinational companies, but also involves um, national uh, security and sovereignty. So I think uh, I clearly can see the Chinese government uh, is taking a very cautious position. At least I think they already gave a full attention to this issue. As of today, um, China uh, has uh, uh, three relevant laws regulations covering uh, data localization issue. Uh, one is the national security law, which became effective uh, July of last year, but uh, this law didn't specifically require data localization, but it did indicate that the state should um, keep uh, secure and controllability of the core network and uh, key information data. What does it mean? No very specific interpretation. It's really a general principle. You could say provide a legal basis for future legislation regarding data localization because it did mention controllability on key data. But on the other hand, you also could say this gives Chinese government a huge discretion when it comes to specific case. So this is a sort of a, a highest level law. And another law is just Susan mentioned, the Chinese cybersecurity law. It's still in uh, draft form. However, that law actually indicated uh, in Article 31 uh, for operator of Chinese, um, uh, they didn't say Chinese, for operator of the key information structure, they require you to keep uh, the data you collect in China, stay in China. 
Uh, however, if you want to transfer the data uh, outside the country subject to national security review, again, I think, you know, even though this draft published July of last year, it almost been one year, but still not, not finalized yet. We don't know when they can finalize. I think part of the delay is because the Chinese government uh, has not determined uh, the appropriate implement in terms of strength and scope regarding the local uh, data localization. I think that now the only uh, rule which has been implemented is the, uh, the they call it the map management regulation, which is actually low-level regulation issued by state council. In that one, it makes it very clear for any uh, internet map uh, service provider like Google or Uber, you need to use the internet in China uh, to provide service. Then you should keep your data server in China for sure. So I think uh, um, so. Given this kind of scenario, you can see from the uh, legal perspective, actually we only have very general principle or have very specific requirement on the map uh, data server control in China. So that means, you know, still uh, in the legislative perspective, uncertain. But I believe the Chinese government is trying to find a uh, good way to balance the economic interests of the company as well as national security. Does that include foreign companies? I think so. <laughs> I think the Chinese government generally did not want to prevent company, foreign company doing this in China. Rather, they always hold the position they encourage the foreign companies uh, doing this in China uh, as they contribute to the prosperity of Chinese economy. So, subject to the relevant negative laws. <laughs> Stuart. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm struck by the extent to which the principle of controllability in Chinese uh, law is similar to some of the data protection principles in uh, European law, which is Basically, it means what the authorities uh, say it means, and uh, you can discover after the fact that you've violated it uh, uh, if the authorities think you've done something uh, that they don't approve of, uh, um, which is makes it hard for the lawyers. Uh, 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 but I, it's also the case that you know China is the only country that has truly built a electronic capacity uh, to cut off the um, uh, importation of data uh, across the Great Firewall. Uh, and having made a decision that is quite different from every other country with respect to how the Internet is going to operate, uh, if they've already decided that they're going to cut themselves off from data imports, deciding to cut off data exports becomes a much more thinkable option mm -hmm. for the Chinese than for any other uh, country. And so uh, my guess is that China will continue down this road further than other countries have gone, and that they'll only stop when it begins to hurt economically. So that um, <laughs> that, that, that gets us to an interesting point. Um, uh, personally, I'm, I'm doubtful that China is going to wall up the Internet. Um, I, I think it will, if, if it tries to do that, it's going to have to govern by exception because there are so many different situations. Uh, for example, the airline industry, you, can, you can't um, 
You can't, you, can't, you can't have a flight from Shanghai <laughs> to San Francisco right. without sharing the information with people in San Francisco, or right. they're going to be very surprised <laughs> when your plane arrives, yes. <laughs> so, so it's going to be exception after exception in, in order for um, a, a complete uh, walling up of the Internet to, to, to even be thinkable. Um, and it, it becomes a very messy regime then. Um, but it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see how the provisions on the uh, Internet domain well, and as I, I said, I, I, you know, you're, if you do it by exception, you are running the risk of a WTO case, it seems to me. Yes, I, yes. I, um, trade in data is trade, uh, and uh, uh, refusing to allow people to export data is, in principle, a violation of trade law, unless you've got an exception. Now, there's an exception for national security. There's an exception for uh, data protection. Uh, so... Uh, it depends on how broadly those exceptions are read. But my guess is that uh, the exception for data protection may be read broadly because lots and lots of the judges in, the, uh, uh, in Switzerland are going to resonate to that uh, particular uh, um, uh, value. I think we may see a more strict interpretation of what's a national security concern. Uh, and uh, the Chinese government may think that certain kinds of uh, uh, solar power uh, technology is a matter of national security. I'm guessing that the WTO would not see it the same way. Yes. Yes. It's going to be um, a bureaucratic nightmare, essentially, because you're going to have shades of gray through different uh, types of energy industry, for example. Well, uh, then you, you, you will never lack for clients in Beijing. <laughs> yes. Um, one thing that um, perhaps is something uh, uh, that will concern compliance officers, if, if, if this strict control of uh, the Internet and the transfer of data inside and outside of China becomes a reality so that we're in the world of fortress China, how are... Um, foreign companies, i.e. companies that are headquartered outside China and in particular in the U.S., going to ensure that they have proper control over their subsidiaries. Um, how, are, how are they going to know what's happening? How are they going to enforce um, policies and procedures? How is this going to play with U.S. regulators? I mean, I think these are all questions that will um, <clears throat> arise once we know what... Uh, China's position actually is, but it might be interesting to speculate a bit about them. Now. Yeah, so I, one one thing that was, as you were talking, obviously, it, usually all that data gets exported and analyzed wherever it needs to be analyzed, usually at headquarters, and uh, uh, you want to be able to do that or you can't really control your subsidiary, especially in compliance regimes and the like. Uh, um, and one of the exceptions is likely going to have to be some kind of management uh, exception for management-type information. Uh, that said, I wouldn't be surprised if there were certain kinds of compliance regimes uh, that the Chinese government didn't think needed that kind of assistance, like uh, the ones that uh, ZTE fell foul of uh, recently. Uh, I think that the Chinese government would have been delighted to say, you know, ZTE, you can't provide that information to, to the government or to your U.S. Uh, 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 managers uh, because we think it will only end in uh, trouble for you. And uh, if I were a Chinese company, I might think that was a great excuse to not comply with some regulatory requirements in the U.S. 
shelves. But in general, most companies are going to need that, going to see a need for that, and the Chinese government isn't going to want to stop them from doing it. Uh, but the other, if, if I were looking for a way around that, uh, a rule like that, I think I'd do something that we're seeing elsewhere, which is you leave the data in China and you just provide dial-in access or uh, to your managers in the U.S. Uh, um, uh, you know, it's hard to get to tunnel out of the firewall. It's a lot easier to get in. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you might well be able to, uh, to set up uh, uh, access to data for your managers and say, yes, I'm in, I'm in compliance because we're storing it here. We're just analyzing it from the United States. Of course, that's you know, uh, it's inconsistent with the intent. If you believe the intent was to cut off management access to data inside China, I'm not sure that's really what what's going on. My guess is it's more about trying to make sure that uh, commercial secrets stay in China if China has a, a competitive edge in the industry. In addition to the cyber threats. Yes, of course. I'm, I, I'm sure. I, I, plus, all the, the the very legitimate reasons why someone might uh, want to keep their information uh, uh, in uh, at home. I, I think you're probably correct because the 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 legal regime at the moment is only looking at the internet, and there are always other ways to transfer information. Yes, uh, thumb drives. Yes, pigeon yes. mail. <laughs> Whatever. Um, so I, I, I think you're correct. I think it's um, perhaps a symptom of the fact that China is moving very fast, um, uh, driven by uh, uh, various internal policy um, imperatives. And um, uh, those imperatives at the moment are, are so strong that uh, the, the, the impact on the wider world, and in particular foreign companies in China, are not um, uh, taking pride of place. Right. Um, and it's probably not until Chinese companies themselves face difficulties in interacting with the broader world, the wider world, um, perhaps in the context of R&D, I, I don't know, um, that uh, uh, this thinking will begin to adjust. Slightly. Well, it could be that, uh, that the Chinese view would be that uh, uh, national security is implicated by anything, any information that causes people to want to sell Chinese stock. Uh, there, I'm sure there have been days when the Chinese uh, government would have taken that view, uh, and uh, uh, that, that's not going to end well. But that's a, it, it's a it's a grave temptation, I would have thought, uh, uh, when faced with a declining stock market. Yeah, I, I think um, that's probably another discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, the majority of Chinese stock is held by Chinese within China. There's not that much foreign um, participation in Chinese stock markets at the moment, although the Chinese um, authorities would like there to be more uh, participation. Um, so finally, uh, turning to the sort of uh, uh, million-dollar issues, is what, what can foreign companies do in practice to work in this environment where it's getting increasingly difficult and more uncertain uh, uh, it's not clear what can remain in China, what should be exported, what can be exported. It's not clear the strength of the firewall at any given time. It seems to be adjusted. How, how do how do Chinese uh, foreign companies operate in China on, on this basis? So my my impression that Chinese uh, that the U.S. companies operating in China are 
still trying to operate with VPNs across the firewall, uh, uh, and indeed Baidu makes a VPN that uh, will cross the uh, the firewall, uh, um, and uh, um, you whether that's Strictly lawful is an open question, but uh, it still happens. Uh, I, I'm not sure how easy it is. It's a little like the data protection rules in uh, uh, in Europe. You 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 can never be sure you're acting legally if you're doing what's necessary to run your business, uh, uh, and so you you have to live with some ambiguity, and then um, you need uh, a um, uh, a trade association that will be aggressive about raising issues that you can't as an individual company uh, raise about the importance of this kind of communication so that uh, uh, every time the Chinese government thinks about uh, tightening the rules or does tighten the rules on one or another company, they hear about it in a context that uh, is hard to ignore. Yes, I think one of um, the problems for foreign companies operating in China is uh, uh, historically U.S. companies in particular have tried to uh, live up to the highest levels of compliance. It's it's in their DNA. Um, we see perhaps sometimes other countries not taking that approach. Uh, and so if... U.S. companies do that in this environment. It's going to add quite a bit to the bottom line. There's going to have to be a lot more invested in uh, uh, securing data in China, uh, a lot more investment in that, a lot more investment in protocols for transferring data. Uh, potentially, um, you're going to have to deal with filings with uh, U.S. Uh, sorry, Chinese regulatory authorities. This is all going to make uh, doing business um, in China for U.S. companies more expensive and more troublesome. Right, uh, and, and I'm, not, I'm not sure. You know, the the Chinese government used to be very troubled by that, and I think they're less troubled by it now. Absolutely, yeah. Um, so that leaves us on on a fairly negative note. <laughs> However, having said that, um, much of this legislation, as we've discussed, is still um, in in draft form. There's a lot of discussion, um, a lot of uh, lobbying, um, and it's possible that, that the final outcome may be different. Um, so perhaps we can revisit these issues in a future podcast. Well, that's that is that is the uh, that is the history of. of Chinese efforts. It's uh, you. You move the. You announce the law, and then you uh, experience the blowback, and then you take a while, and then you draft the law and release the draft law, and you take some blowback. And then you might change the law a little and put it forward again. So there's been a lot of uh, one step back, two steps forward in this area. I think the direction of travel is pretty clear uh, yeah. for for folks, but that doesn't mean that uh, U.S. companies shouldn't be pushing for uh, uh, as much flexibility as possible because in the end, it, this won't be good for the Chinese economy uh, any more than it's going to be good for the uh, Western companies doing business in China. Yes, that's for certain. Okay. Well, thank you, Susan. Uh, that was uh, a great discussion. And uh, 
really appreciate it. Uh, for listeners, if you've got questions or suggestions, please send them to cyberlawpodcast at steptoe.com. Uh, this has been episode 110 of the Steptoe Cyberlaw Podcast, brought to you by Steptoe and Johnson. Uh, coming up, we're going to have Suzanne Spaulding, uh, the Undersecretary for NPPD, uh, uh, the National Protection uh, uh, Directorate uh, dealing with uh, physical and cyber infrastructure. Uh, Michael Hayden, uh, the only person who's been director of NSA and the CIA, uh, talking about his memoir, Playing to the Edge, American Intelligence in the Age of Terror. And um, uh, an old favorite, Oren Kerr, our favorite uh, computer crime law guru, will be coming on to correct all the mistakes about uh, uh, computer fraud and abuse uh, law that I've made over the last uh, uh, year or so. So we hope you'll join us as we uh, once again provide insights into the latest events in technology, security, privacy, and government.